0: security of our salvation I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning give me the words that you would have me to say help me not to say anything that you don't want me to say control uh, me I pray with your Holy Spirit help everyone to hear but from the Holy Spirit exactly what they need to hear today and I pray that you guide and direct us through this study in Jesus name I pray these things amen uh, we've been walking through this journey to discover the truth about eternal security Uh, Today I want to emphasize that we uh, must take the whole of Scripture in order to formulate our belief system. Uh, This is a lot of work, yes, Uh, but it is the only way that we can truly understand and balance all that God has revealed to us. The danger and the false theologies come along whenever we take one passage of Scripture out of context of all of Scripture and build a theology upon that. And many have done that. And there are many different denominations and even branches of denominations because of that. Uh, If we look at uh, a verse and it appears to be saying one thing, but we look at another verse and it appears to be saying just the opposite. uh, uh, What we have is not a contradiction, but a balance. And we must find the truth in the balance of it all. God is a God of balance, amen? And a God of perfect balance. And the Bible has to speak of both sides of that balance. God is love, but he's also justice. God is mercy, but he's also truth. And so we must be sure to look at Scripture as a whole. And what happens whenever we look at one balance alone and focus on one balance and emphasize one balance, we get unbalanced, okay? And we end up preaching a heresy if we're not careful. And first, let's look at a few verses that seem to be pointing us to being able to lose our salvation. By the way, as a side note, you cannot lose your salvation, but I do believe that you can lose your assurance of salvation. Uh, Often the Bible will stir our hearts and say, a Christian ought not to do this. (laughs) And uh, sometimes it will cause us to rethink our life, and am I really saved? Now, there are other times when the devil gets involved, and he says, you're not really saved. And uh, he tries to tempt you to pull you astray and to cause confusion. Uh, but I do believe that you can lose your uh, assurance of salvation. Uh, but we, God has written an entire book of the Bible to give us that assurance, First John. And so we ought to have assurance that we are saved and know that we are eternally secure. And there are some who backslide to the point where they begin to doubt whether they are saved to begin with, though. Uh, but our salvation is secure in Christ and in our sealing of the Holy Spirit. We looked at that last week. Now, first, today I want to look at uh, Roman number one. Some pos- uh, some possible unclear statements. Now, I don't believe that they're unclear, uh, but some things that uh, if we don't take the whole of Scripture, some things by the statements by themselves that may cause us to be unclear as to what God is saying. And first, we're going to go back and look at another passage. We'll come to James in just a second, but you don't have to turn there. But I'm going to turn to John chapter three. You're welcome to turn there if you'd like, uh, but I think I'll put verses on the screen. I believe I've done that. Uh, Verses 14 through 16, uh, which is a primary scripture, by the way, used to support the view uh, that you can lose your salvation. John chapter 3 verse 14 says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent, uh, serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he, be, uh, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, it's amazing to me that, that this verse could be used as uh, something for losing your salvation, but it often is. Uh, when, when we understand our security, it seems clear to us. Uh, but those who believe you can lose your salvation, they look at this verse and they see that word that's translated believe in the present tense. It is in the present tense. Uh, so it, is, it must mean, they say, that uh, you must continue believing in order to have eternal life. Uh, you must be able to lose your salvation. If you, don't, if you believe in the present tense and you shall be saved, if you stop believing, then it only follows that you would lose your salvation. And they read John 3.16 as saying, Whosoever keeps on believing in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Another passage that is used is what we read earlier in James chapter 1, our text uh, verses for this morning. Verse 6 especially, 6 through 8, the Bible says, But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a a wave of the sea driven by the wind and tossed. For let let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways." James says that a person who doubts will not receive anything of the Lord. Would this mean salvation? And the question we have to ask ourselves, first of all, is letter A, how present is present? In the tenses, we all went to uh, uh, English class, right? And may not have been our favorite subject in class. But we understand that there are past, present, and future tenses. Well, Greek has even more. But uh, uh, the present in English, uh, how present is present? Yes, this is uh, when we speak of believing or asking faith. It is in the present tense in these verses. But the truth is we do not use the present tense how they are attempting to use it all the time. We don't use it that way all the time. Oh, We can, but most of the time we do not. Uh, So to apply it to these verses is to assume some things. For instance, if someone were to ask me, Jeremy what are you doing with your spare time these days? I might say, well, I'm studying for my sermons and I'm getting ready for VBS and I'm reading a great book by C.S. Lewis. Now, in my response, I have used the progressive forms of three present verbs, studying, getting, and reading, okay? Uh, But no one would ever think that I am in my spare time studying, getting ready for VBS, and reading a book all at the same time. You understand what I'm saying? Nobody would think that. Likewise, no one would think from this statement that uh, the only thing I ever do are these things. I don't eat. I don't sleep. I don't t- I talk to my wife or my children. I don't answer the phone. I'm just continuously reading, getting ready, and studying. That would be silly, wouldn't it? And yet, and that's exactly what we're doing here. Now, I, I, I could mean that I'm, you know, I am pretty you know, ADD, but I don't think that I could even do all of these things at once, okay? Uh, If a friend were to ask me where I am now, I I would say I'm in Mayville, Michigan. But if you saw me in Saginaw, uh, you wouldn't accuse me of lying. Uh, Because why? Because my use of the present tense did not mean that I continually stay in Mayville every minute of my life. You understand what I'm saying? And you wouldn't assume that either. Because simply stated, that is not the way the present tense is used in real life, okay? It can be, but it's not the way that it's typically used in real life. So to assume that that's the way it's being used in the Word of God is to assume some things about things, and putting your own beliefs into the assumption of the meaning of the words. And let's look at another passage to see another example. In this we see, letter B, how continual is present. How continual is present. And by the way, you and I are not only ones who use the present tense in a variety of ways. Jesus did too. Uh, when he talked to the woman at the well, he used the present tense. He was showing the woman the superior, superiority of the living water over the water found in Jacob's well. Uh, look at this verse on the screen here, John four thirteen. He says, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. The term drinks here is in the present tense, a verb in the present tense. If present tense always shows continuous action, Jesus is saying those who continually drink from Jacob's well will thirst. But that isn't right. Because no one who continually drinks gets thirsty. (laughs) If if we would be physically impossible to drink continuously from this well without stop. He's talking about the normal usage of drinking until you are quenched. Then after some time you come back and get some more water. It'd be absurd, it'd be absurd to understand this present tense verb to be continuous, uninterrupted action. So the verb could mean that, but in most cases it does not. The reason I'm emphasizing this is because this is a big argument. This is when I have talked to other people about losing salvation or that possibility. This is one of the major things that's brought up. Believing is always used in the present tense. By the way, it's not. Okay, but nevertheless, they say they say it's always used in the present tense. Okay, and this is a big argument. That's why I'm emphasizing this. Okay, so if we think back to John's usage of the present tense, believe, as to being continuous, uninterrupted believing. It is to assume more out of the present tense here than is supposed to be assumed. When you, at some point in your life, apply your faith to the truth of the gospel at that present moment, at that moment, you are given eternal life. Amen? That's the present tense there. At that present time, you are given eternal life. It is a gift. It cannot be returned. It cannot be taken away. I said last week that God has a no return policy on his gifts. Okay, and it cannot be returned. He will not allow it. If you were to return a gift to somebody, it would only be dependent upon the giver's willingness to take it back. You understand what I'm saying? You could leave it on their porch, but they could easily kick it off the porch and not return, not accept it. Okay, you could try to force it into their hands, but they could move their hands out of the way. It only depends upon the giver being willing to receive it back. You understand what I'm saying? And God has clearly stated in scripture he will not. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, thirdly, let's recognize that the usage of the verb believe, <clears throat> letter C, is not every time in the present. It is not used in every time in the present in the Bible. If this is what God's plan for us to see the present usage of, the continu- of continually believing in order to be saved, would He not use the present tense every time? Wouldn't He? Does God make a mistake and use the wrong tense other times? No. And when the Samaritan woman brought the people of the city out to hear Jesus in John 4, what did the Bible say? He says in verse 39, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for uh, for, for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that I ever did. And when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that they would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. In English, it is presented in a past tense. In the Greek word, uh, the, the Greek, the word translated believed is in the aorist tense. It's another tense that English does not have. English doesn't have an aorist tense. And unlike the present tense, the aorist tense is more indefinite. Uh, meaning it does not focus on a time of the event but the results of the action it simply uh it, it is a simple uh, a simple past action that's what it's talking about when the philippian jailer asked paul and silas what he needed to be sa- to 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 do to be saved They didn't tell him to keep on believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. No, he didn't say that. Acts 16, 31, he says, and they said, believe on the name on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Again, translated here as present because they were presently talking. But it's still in the aorist tense here in this verse. The focus is on the act of the believing, not the continual use of his faith. If the jailer needed to keep believing... Why would the Holy Spirit not lead them to explain this to the jailer or anywhere else in Scripture by that matter? But it is nowhere in Scripture does it say that they need to continually believe in order to be saved. No, faith is not how we are saved. Faith is the road we travel to connect our sinful need to God's saving grace. Dr. Ryrie says this way, the New Testament always says that salvation is through faith, not because of faith. Faith is the channel through which we receive God's gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Faith is not how we are saved. You understand what I'm saying? We are saved by grace through faith. You understand what I'm saying? We talked about that last week. Uh, we are saved by grace through faith. The connection between our need and our salvation, God's grace is through faith. That's what connects the two. These verses are used to try to prove a point that the present tense are used to show that we must continue to believe in order to be saved or to keep our salvation. I hope now that you can see that it's not proof in and of itself for sure. But rather, does uh, other uses of this word show that it's not consistently used this way? Okay, we look at some possible unclear statements. Now let's look at some positively clear statements. Okay, some positively clear statements we've argued from a somewhat negative defense stating that what was not said rather than what was said at this point. But I think we can see a very clear statement from Paul that gives us a clear direct quote. But we will also see it by use of illustration today. First, it is clearly stated letter A to prevent confusion. To prevent confusion. Second Timothy chapter 2 verses 11 through 13. The Bible says, It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Whoa, wait a minute. If we deny him, he also will deny us. There you go. You can lose your salvation. Look at the next verse. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Right in that next verse, Paul clarifies, it says, we're not talking about losing salvation. Okay? First part of these verses, it almost sounds like it's going to prove that you can lose your salvation. And then Paul adds that last verse to prove you cannot. More than likely, these three verses are part of an early Christian hymn, most believe, just by how it's laid out. Paul includes in this, (coughs) excuse me, this in his letter to Timothy. Much like a writer would quote a hymn to show a point. Or a pastor would use a hymn to illustrate something. A lot of times I'll include the lyrics of a song or sometimes even sing a song uh, to prove a point that I'm trying to make or illustrate it. And by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God used the lines, these lines to make a point. The first line quotes from Romans chapter 6. If we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Uh, The second line speaks of the reward for those who remain faithful through persecution. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. There's the reward. Truth seen throughout scripture, by the way. Like Revelation chapter 5 verse 10 where he says, "And uh, And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. This is talking about the faithful, those who have been faithful through trials. Uh, they will rule and reign with Christ in many other scriptures as well. The third couplet of this hymn echoes Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33, where he says, But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. And some have taken this third couplet to mean apostasy, to walk away from the truth of salvation. And they've denied Christ and walked away from him. However, the context seems to suggest that this is a repetition of the previous statement talking about reward, but in the negative. It's continuing the same ideas, the context. You have to look at the context of what's being spoken. Those who remain faithful, when they are judged, will receive the recognition and approval of the Father. Those who have not remained faithful will suffer loss by not receiving this recognition and approval. By either way, the fourth couplet is still there. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, faithful, and he cannot deny himself. Christ remains faithful to his forgiveness. His payment for all of sins is done. It is finished. And those who have accepted by faith, their name has been written down in the Lamb's book of life. It is clearly stated. Secondly, to prevent confusion, secondly, to prove commitment, to prove commitment. This is God's commitment to his promises. The writer includes the reason that he will not take back his gift of eternal life, for he cannot deny himself. Once a person has believed and trusted in Christ's death as the payment for sin, he or she immediately become a part of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 says, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be bond or free, and have have been all made to drink into one spirit. If we are one body, how can we be denied our salvation? It would be to deny himself, who is part of the body, the head of the body. This one passage highlights four basic doctrines. First of all, Number one, all believers have the opportunity to experience the abundant life. All believers have the possibility to have this abundant life. John 10.10 says, The thief cometh uh, not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. God's will is for that every Christian have an abundant life of following Him, of following His leading, of obeying Him, and being filled with the Holy Spirit so that they can have that abundant, promised life that He offers to us. Every Christian, all believers, have the opportunity to experience the abundant life. Secondly, faithful believers will be rewarded. Faithful believers will be rewarded. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Number three, which leads us to unfaithful believers, will be denied the recognition and rewards that they could have had. Look at the verses in 1 Corinthians 3, 12. The Bible says, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. Talking about the building up of our lives, the actions of our lives, putting all these things together into our lives and actions and works. He says, Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. Those which pass through and make it through the fire, gold, silver, and precious stones will survive the fire and be purified, and it will come out the other side and will receive the reward. Verse 15, he says, uh, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Okay, so the unfaithful believer will be denied the recognition and rewards that they could have had. Number four, the unfaithful will lose out, but will keep their salvation because God is faithful. And he cannot deny himself what he has said. What he has promised cannot be denied. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says it this way. True children of God cannot become something other than children, even when disobedient and weak. Christ's faithfulness to Christians is not contingent upon their faithfulness to him. Do your children become no longer your children if they disobey? No, they're still your children even if you never speak to them again, they're still your children. They don't become anything but your children. Now, they may suffer loss of reward. They may not have your help. If your grown children uh, are disrespectful and deny you and refuse to help you in any way, when they come to you and say, Dad, I I need some money. Mom, I need some money. I'm struggling here, and I need some money. It's like, you're certainly tempted to say, Tough, (laughs) tough. Maybe you should think about doing things right next time. Now, a lot of times we have compassion on our children anyways because we are made in the image of God and we have mercy. But sometimes, and you would be perfectly within your rights to say, you need to learn sometimes the hard way to do the right things and you are going to be denied a reward, denied a help so that you will be helped in the future. And it's clearly stated to prevent confusion, to prove commitment. Thirdly, through powerful cases, through powerful cases. God not only says it clearly, but he illustrates it in the Bible. There are several individuals in Scripture who stop believing for a time, and yet their salvation is never questioned. In each case, God remains faithful even to their unfaithlessness. Uh, we see this in the life of Peter. Peter definitely believed. There's no doubt in anyone's mind that he believed. When Christ asked the disciples who they thought he was, Matthew 16, 16 says, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that was a good answer. And he spoke truly. In fact, verse 17 and 18, Jesus answers and said uh, unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. He's getting things revealed to him by the Father. Okay, verse 18, and I say unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When Jesus asked if the twelve would abandon him also, as all these disciples, after his very hard sayings that he was preaching and many of his disciples left him, he turned to his twelve and he said, will you leave me also as these others did? Peter speaks up again. John chapter six, verse sixty eight, he says, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? That thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the Living God. Peter definitely believed. There were times when we see in Peter's life where his belief stopped. I thought of the time whenever he was in the boat, and Jesus came walking on the water, and Peter for for testi- i mean, for his sake and uh, for for his benefit—I uh, don't know what I'm trying to say—but say but, uh, the good thing about him. He got out of the boat, amen. He got out of the boat, but he lost sight of Jesus. He stopped believing that Jesus could help him get to him. He stopped believing, and he began to sink. Jesus saved him and helped him. Did he lose his salvation? There's no evidence of that. The night that Christ was, be, uh, uh, that Christ was betrayed, Jesus said to him, uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. The Greek word translated desire to have you is a Greek word meaning to subpoena for a trial. And Jesus continued in verse 32, he says, But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Satan would attack Peter's faith that night, but Jesus anticipated that and prayed for him. And just as now he maketh intercession for us with the Father, and prays for us, but even though Peter denied, there is nowhere that shows that Peter lost his salvation. The book, Absolutely Free, author Zane Hodges points out Another example of a believer who, was, who lost his faith in Christ. And I never thought of this before. But secondly, John the Baptist was an example. There's no doubt of John's faith in the Savior. And John 1:29 says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not. But that he should be made manifest to Israel, therefore am I come baptizing with water. By the way, let's say notice a couple of things here. He says, uh, "This man is preferred before me because he was before me. John was older. Who came first? Well, John physically, but who came first? Jesus." Because he was always with the Father, and John recognized not only that Jesus was the Messiah, but he was the Son of God, eternally past. Okay, so no doubt that this man believed. Right, John bare record, verse thirty-two. I think I might. Did I skip verse thirty-one? Uh, we we'll read verse 31. It says, And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And then verse 32 says, And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode on him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same saith unto me, Upon whom thou seest the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which, is, which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and I bear record that this is the Son of God. John acknowledged Jesus as the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God. Yet there was a time when he wasn't sure Christ was who he thought he was. Luke chapter 7 verse 17 says, And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region and about. And the disciples of John showed him all these things. And John, calling him unto him, two of his disciples sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? When the men were come unto Jesus, unto him, they said, John the Baptist said, hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look for we for another? Uh, Charles Hodges wrote in his commentary, the one that brought this about, or mention this, it says that it's hard to believe one's eyes when this passage is first encountered uh, in, in your reading. Here is the great prophet and forerunner of God's Christ calling into question the very person to whom he had once given bold testimony. Clearly then, this great servant of God is asking a question he presumably had settled decisively long ago. His inquiry is manifestly an expression of doubt upon the very truth by which men and women are saved. John was having doubts. He no longer truly had faith that Jesus was the Christ. But even in John's faith, with John's faith in question, Christ was still able to say about him immediately after this. John Luke 7 again. He says, This is he whom it is written, Behold, I said my messenger before thy face which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is no greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. He's still talking about him in the sense of going to heaven. There is no sense, there is no inclination that John the Baptist lost his salvation even when he began to have doubts and lost his faith. Jesus never hinted at the idea that John was never saved or no longer saved. Instead, he praised him. He honored him as a prophet, and he sent him a message back to him to confirm his faith. We know that truth. The Bible says, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober and be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for a way to devour the Christians and to cause doubt and confusion and false theology. But what is the lion seeking to devour? The next verse tells us, 1 Peter 5, 9, whom resist steadfast, he says, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. He says, be steadfast in your faith. Who is he trying to devour? Those who are in the faith. Don't let him attack it. Don't let him attack your faith. Once your faith is shaken, you're powerless. You'll not continue to serve God like you did before. Your drive to do right will be gone. But regardless of the strength of your faith, your salvation is always intact. Yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word of God, Lord. We know it takes a lot of work to to decipher all of scripture, to look at the whole thing. It's easy for us to take apart a certain phrase or word and be and say, well, this must meet this. And when we harp on one area of the Bible, we get an unbalanced view Father, help us to have the strength not to depend on the theologians to tell us what to believe, not to depend upon our pastors to tell us what to believe, but depend upon the word of God and seek and to, uh, seek out in the truth and to study it for ourselves, taking a pa- balanced view of the all of scripture. Give us by your Holy Spirit the wisdom and that's needed to decipher and to follow. I pray that you bless us now, Lord, as we go into this invitation time. Lord, if there be anybody here who has not known you as their Savior, may they come to know you today. If there's anybody who has walked away from the faith or have denied you in any way, if they have known you in the past, they still know you today. That you still know them today. But perhaps we need to rededicate our lives to you. Perhaps we need to recommit ourselves to you. Reconfirm in our hearts what is true already in our lives. You are there. And you are faithful and you will remain faithful. Help us to rededicate ourselves anew and not let Satan cause doubts. But to be able to stay true to you and the work that you have called us to do. Father, I pray that you do a work in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Let's open our songbooks. Let's all stand together. We're going to t- sing a verse of invitation. Is you're all. On-